When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Begin tonight with what is likely to be not only the most significant criminal case against the twice impeached, thrice indicted, liable for sexual abuse former president, but also the most important trial of our lifetimes, the United States of America versus Donald Trump. Tomorrow, Trump will be arraigned in a federal in a Washington, D.C. courtroom. He's expected to plead not guilty to four criminal counts, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct, conspiracy to violate the right to vote and obstruction of, of an official proceeding. This latest indictment of the former president handed down by special counsel Jack Smith is an incredibly detailed and damning account of an attempt to subvert democracy and to forcibly overturn the 2020 election. It pulls from firsthand accounts, including people very close to the president, and sets up a potential blockbuster trial with star witnesses, including his former vice president and countless MAGA senators and members of the uh, and members of Congress. The core of the case is broken down into three parts. The first part details how Trump was fully aware that he lost the election, full stop. He was told point blank by multiple people, Republicans who he had hired and who he trusted and who told him in no uncertain terms that he lost to Joe Biden. But he went on to repeat lies about election fraud and a stolen election anyway. The second part of the indictment describes the harebrained, dangerous scheme to get the Department of Justice in on the act. Trump and co-conspirator number four, believed to be an environmental lawyer at the Justice Department named Jeffrey Clark, tried to enlist the DOJ to go along with these lies and tell Republican lawmakers in seven swing states that the U.S. government believed in the fraud allegations and that they should switch out the real electors who were chosen based on the popular vote in their states for fake electors to overturn the election results in those states. But it is part three of the indictment that is the most chilling part. That is the coup part. This section goes into dramatic detail about just how hell-bent Trump and his co-conspirators were to corrupt the United States government by whatever means necessary so he could stay in power, to the point where they were casually discussing using military force on U.S. citizens. According to the indictment, on the afternoon of January 3rd, co-conspirator number four, Jeffrey Clark, spoke with a deputy White House counsel. The previous month, the deputy counsel had informed the defendant, Trump, that there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January 20th, Inauguration Day. Now, the same deputy White House counsel tried to dissuade Clark from assuming the role of acting attorney general himself. And the deputy White House counsel reiterated to Clark that there had not been outcome determinative fraud in the election. And that if the defendant, Trump, remained in office nonetheless, there would be riots in every major city in the United States, to which Clark responded, well, that's why there's an Insurrection Act. So just marinate on that for a second. This is the man Donald Trump wanted to flash install 
as our new attorney general, casually discussing sicking the United States military on Americans if they dare to go into the streets in protest after their votes were literally deleted in seven states and the electors they chose replaced by fake electors so Trump could stay president. Just stunning stuff. And even though this literal coup attempt was ultimately unsuccessful, it culminated in an hours-long violent attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, perpetrated by Trump supporters that is in itself completely unprecedented. I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. We're going to have to fight much harder. You'll never take back our country with weakness. I've got three men walking down the street in fatigue carrying AR-15. Make sure PPD knows they have an elevated threat in the trees outside of Constitution Avenue. Look for the don't tread on me flag. We're coming to take you out. We'll pull you out by your hairs. I'm not combat trained. And that day, it was just hours of hand-to-hand combat. Get a great FN criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. But beyond the alleged criminality, what Jack Smith lays out in this 45-page indictment is a frightening look at just how close we came to losing American democracy two and a half years ago. And yet, in our current reality, the same person who has been criminally charged with conspiring to defraud the United States of America, to steal the votes of seven states worth of voters, and to maybe sick the military on us, to quash any resistance to him staying in power against our will, and who knows, maybe never leaving office again, is the Republican frontrunner for president. Just let that sink in for a moment. The likely Republican nominee for president has been charged with conspiracy to defraud the country he now wants to lead again. What a world. I'm joined now by Paul Butler, professor at Georgetown Law School, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst, Katie Banner, Justice Department reporter for The New York Times and MSNBC contributor, and Frank Figluzzi, former assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI and an MSNBC national security analyst. And Frank, it is you I want to start with on this, because the the, the invocation of the Insurrection Act, and the reason that I, I really wanted to start with that tonight and that part of the indictment, because I think that is the scariest part of the indictment. The Insurrection Act essentially says that to enforce the laws of the United States in any state by the ordinary course of judicial proceedings, the president may call into the federal service such of the military of any state and use such of the armed forces as he considers necessary to enforce the laws or suppress a rebellion. The idea that there was a real consideration of using the United States military because, per the indictment, John Eastman acknowledged to Donald Trump's senior advisor that no court would support the proposal to switch out the electors for fake ones. And Trump and the, his advisors were told, you're going to cause riots in the street, to which Eastman also responded, just like Clark, that there have previously been points in the nation's history where violence has been necessary to protect the republic. These guys were contemplating using the military on us. Frank, your thoughts. Yeah, that is perhaps the most chilling part of these 45 pages, although there, there are certainly competing pages as well. But <laughs> look, the, for those who say, hey, I don't understand why Smith chose not to charge the actual breach of the Capitol, not inciting the riot, not seditious conspiracy, not insurrection. 
He's masterfully chosen as a strategy to stay away from saying Trump made that happen and rather say Trump and his cohorts were fully prepared for violence. They actually seemed to have welcomed it to, as you said, two of the co-conspirators in there that you identified were perfectly fine with violence and specifically with leveraging the violence, which is really what the 45-page indictment says. Trump actually leveraged that violence that day. Um, and yes, it appears he was fully prepared to call out the military per, per what we see here. You know what else the Insurrection Act allows a president to do? It's not just military troops, it's militia to call out, quote unquote, the militia to suppress an insurrection. And you know what Stuart Rhodes, the leader and founder of the Oath Keepers, told all of us? about what he was doing on January 6th, he was waiting for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act. And many, many of those arrested for January 6th violence will tell us the same thing. I was waiting for the president to invoke the Insurrection Act. So, um, yeah, chillingly close. A fragile experiment in democracy is what we are. And we came perilously close to seeing boots on the ground, U.S. troops either seizing voting machines, suppressing this so-called insurrection, but they were fine with it. They were ready for it. And the president was willing to use it as leverage against Pence and others. You know, and, and Katie, I think that is what it's hard for people to wrap their minds around, that this wasn't just angry people at the Capitol who were upset over the results of an election. There were people there who've now been convicted of seditious conspiracy who were leading literal militias between the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, whoever else was out there. And some of them have already been convicted of this. As we put all of this together, you've got that plus the weaponization of the Department of Justice. And somebody who was the person Donald Trump wanted to be the attorney general, being a leader of the idea that the Justice Department should participate. And, and I wonder what you make of the fact that given that the Justice Department was so central to the conspiracy, it did take a long time uh, for this Justice Department to kind of react to that um, with indictments all the way at the top, inter including to Donald Trump. So I think that this Justice Department had to be very careful as it proceeded, because what had happened before Biden became president is you saw the Justice Department weaponized in these really extreme ways, especially at the end of the administration, where Donald Trump was trying to use the Justice Department to validate his false claims of election fraud and maintain power. This is inherently political stuff. We can say that it's just a matter of following the facts and the law, and it's as easy as that, and that's what's going to cleanse this country and the Justice Department of all the politicization and all the deep, deep suspicion of the department you know, both inside the department, there are people inside the department who are having clashes and outside the department. The American public is very divided over what this DOJ really is and what it's about. So for Merrick Garland and then special counsel Jack Smith to be as cautious as possible, to try to build the strongest case they needed to build and to try to put all the evidence together that they felt would be compelling to show that these federal statutes had been violated, that was something that had to be done with extreme caution and as carefully as possible, because ultimately this investigation will be picked apart. Reporters are going to try to put together TikToks of how it was done. If a Republican wins, you can expect that there will be some sort of um, 
you know, attempt to reconstruct this investigation to see if there are holes, to see if there were moves that were made that were sloppy, that were not careful, or that somehow violated somebody's civil liberties. I mean, this is going to be highly scrutinized for years to come. So I don't think it should be a surprise that it did take two and a half years to put together this indictment. Yeah. And Paul, let, let's go to the indictment, because here it is. It, it is. It is. I hope people will read it. It's only 45 pages and it's double space. So it actually it reads fairly quickly, even for a slow reader like me. The other person that's going to get obviously criticized is the judge. Um, let's talk about her just for a moment. Um, you know this judge. Her name is Tanya Chutkan, uh, Jamaican-born. Uh, sounds very no-nonsense. She was uh, confirmed 95 to zero. So obviously she had bipartisan support when she came in. Uh, can I first say that I'm going to petition the special counsel to see if you can do the opening statement in the trial, because <laughs> your opening to the show got me hyped. I mean, you're, you're right. This wasn't about any kind of grand uh, scheme or, or grand theory. I don't feel sorry for the almost 2000 people, the foot soldiers who will have been charged for January 6th yeah. by the end of this year. But it wasn't about politics for Trump. It was about his ego. And he was willing to risk lives and, in fact, did cause death based on his ego. Yeah. Judge Chuckin, um, known her for 20 years. She was a defense attorney when I was a prosecutor. Fortunately, I right. never went against her because <laughs> she's brilliant. Yeah. Let's think about two kinds of justice. Legal justice, poetic justice. Poetic justice. Presiding over Donald Trump's trial will be a black woman immigrant. Trump doesn't like being challenged by anybody. That's right. But he hates being challenged by black women. You've experienced his the front of his rap, yeah. as has our colleague Kristen Walker. Not just an immigrant from but from Jamaica. Yeah. We remember the vulgar way that Trump described Caribbean as countries. countries. But Joy, the legal justice means that none of that will matter to Judge Chuckin. She's a former public defender she will make sure that Trump has all of the process and all of the fairness that any criminal defendant deserves. Yeah. If, in fact, a jury finds them not guilty, she will be happy to say to him, as those words defendants love to hear, Mr. Trump, you are free to go. Yeah. But if he is convicted, based on her sentencing practices in other January 6th cases, she's going to send that man to jail for a long time time. Yeah. 24 judges in D.C. federal court have had January 6th related cases. Mm -hmm. Judge Chunkin, Chunkin has sentenced more of those people to more time than any of those other judges. She's sent people to prison for January 6th related crimes even when the prosecutors didn't ask for jail time. Right. And, and one of the criticisms, I've had this criticism, that a lot of these judges have been sentencing people to relatively light sentences that were below the guidelines that the government was asking for. They went really light. She's actually gone the other direction. She's actually been pretty tough. Um, but really quickly, before I to stay with you for a moment, one of the arguments that Donald Trump's supporters are making is a free speech argument. Um, and I know that Jack Smith was very careful in this indictment to get to that right away. Um, this is from page two, I believe. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. What do you make of that argument? Uh, it's bogus. It's two things. The, the argument from Trump's defenders is bogus on the free speech front. First of all, not all speech is constitutionally protected. Uh, you can't threaten people. You can't famously uh, uh, say 
fire in a crowded theater. And you can't use words that conspire to subvert democracy. Yeah. And the other piece is that Jack Smith doesn't care about Trump's words. He cares about Trump's actions. And that's what those four felony counts are focused on. Not what Trump said, but what he did. And Frank, you've said this before. I mean, you can say, I think the bank you know, did me wrong and robbed me. That doesn't mean you can rob the bank, right? You can say, I, you know, you, you can say whatever you want. It's, you can't do actions that are illegal. Yeah, I, I love the fact that we're getting a glimpse of the defense this fast because mistakenly, Trump's attorney has decided to go on TV and blab uh, incessantly. And so we're getting the kind of two pronged defense. We're hearing this kind of what I call the fervent belief defense, which is, hey, uh, Trump actually really believed that uh, there was fraud and he needed to take action. And as you said, what I've been telling people is, look, I, I might have a fervent belief that my local bank ripped me off, but I can't go rob it at gunpoint to get my money back. It's a crime. And, and you know, the other the prong of the defense we're hearing is the free speech prong. And again, you know, you, you, free speech can become a crime when it turns into criminal conduct. And so if we're going to do away with all crimes that have to do with free speech, let's just toss the entire fraud section of the U.S. code out. Because what is fraud? Fraud is a lie, right? Let's toss out money laundering, because really, what at its heart, money laundering is a lie about where your money came from, right? How about lying to the FBI, Title 18, <laughs> Section 1001? Let's toss that out, because, you know, lying is free speech. You know who would love us to toss those things out? Steve Bannon, the folks who led the Build the Wall Coalition, who have pled guilty to money laundering and fraud. How about um, Michael Flynn, who was convicted, pled guilty to lying to the FBI. They would love for lies to be free speech, but they're not always free speech when they turn into a crime. You know who also would love it? Walt Nauta, who's on tape lying to the FBI and who doesn't have Donald Trump's million-dollar lawyers. He couldn't even find a lawyer locally in Miami. He's probably going to get got because he, you know, he's not the former president of the United States and he lied to the FBI. There's like a, a transcript of the tape. Or right, we have much more to talk about. Our distinguished panel is staying right here with us because there is still a lot more to discuss about this historic moment in American democracy. The readout continues right after this short break. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 
We're back with our great panel, Paul Butler, Katie Benner, and Frank Figluzzi. I want to talk about these co-conspirators for just a moment. Um, I want to go to you first, Katie, and see if you've got any intel or reporting, because the one person we haven't been able to figure out is co-conspirator number six. Is there any reporting that reveals who that might be? You know, not yet. And that is the piece of that is the piece of reporting that every reporter is pursuing right now. It's true. It was pretty easy to identify the first five co-conspirators. But on the six, it's just a political consultant that's extremely broad. And Trump yeah. did use several political consultants. And a lot of them were doing little bits and pieces of what's described in this indictment. They were trying to convince local legislators to accept the idea that there was voter fraud. They were helping to come up with different plans and different ways to implement, for example, pressure campaigns on somebody like Mike Pence to file lawsuits in several states. So I think it's going to take a while to figure out who exactly that person is. But what is interesting is to see whether or not the Justice Department in subsequent weeks ends up indicting any of these co-conspirators, because I think we'll not only see, if that happens, not only will we see the identities of some of these people confirmed and revealed, we could actually see more information that would help us to understand what kind of case that Jack Smith and his prosecutors could bring in court, particularly vis-a-vis this idea that Trump knew he had indeed lost the election. What we see in this indictment is that Trump is told that he lost the election, but what we don't see anywhere is Trump acknowledging it himself. So it will be interesting to see what happens as more people are put on notice that they could be indicted themselves. Well, the one place I think, Katie, that I would, the only, the only dispute is that there's the one place where he says, we're going to hand it to the next guy. Because I feel like everything that's in here is very deliberate. And he does put in that line that Trump says, we'll hand it to the next guy, which to me says he's like, He's not the next guy, but it's, it's an excellent point nonetheless. Let me come back to you, Paul, because— Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Oh, no, I was just trying to say that's true, and that does that is our one piece of Trump's state of mind that would imply that he knew. And again, basically what the prosecution is doing is putting people on notice that unless they cooperate and provide more information to the Justice Department, they could be indicted too. And so it'll be interesting to see. These are people who have had private conversations with the former president where he might have slipped up and said something like that. It will be interesting to see what happens. And Frank, you know, you do have John Eastman already putting out a statement saying he will never flip. Uh, he will never turn on Trump. He will never do a deal. But it, Trump's lawyers have made it clear that part of their defense is Eastman did it. Eastman told me Eastman is an eminent legal scholar. And I just listened to him. They're going to. So Trump is going to throw Eastman under the bus. And Eastman is saying, I'm never leaving his side. Makes no sense. It's well, nothing in the past several years has made any sense with regard to the loyalty uh, shown to Trump by people who seemingly just can't get another job without him. I, I don't understand it either. But I will tell you this, as, as damning as this indictment is about Trump, um, and I understand the indictment is all about Trump, and I understand the strategy behind that, it is equally, if not more damning to these co-conspirators. Yes. And I find it hard to believe that even if some of them decide to cooperate, I don't think they're go any of them, based on what we're seeing in, in these 45 pages, is going to be allowed to completely skate. Why? Two reasons. The severity of what is described uh, regarding their criminal conduct in this indictment. And secondly, Smith already has Trump. He's, he's got right. him. Yes, it would be helpful to get more. Of course, it's always helpful to get more. But they can't skate, and they're in deep trouble. Yeah, that's right. You typically need to be able to give somebody higher than you. Well, there's nobody higher. They've already got Trump. It's an excellent point. Um, to come to you, Paul, on this good question for you as a former federal prosecutor. Is it typical to put things in quotation marks if it's not based on a tape? Uh, no, it's not. Well, 
it, it could be based on a tape or some other primary source. Okay. But if it's in quotation marks, obviously it means somebody said it. And so that means so you have, we have, we're going to put up on, on the screen. You've got um, when the vice president challenged co-conspirator to John Eastman on whether to, you know, whether the proposal to return the question to the states was de- was defensible. You've got other things. The Eastman quotes, you, things that seem to be in quotation marks. You just put a bunch of them up on the screen. So if it's in quotes, we should presume it's either contemporaneous notes or tape, right? That's right. And, and what is the significance of that to you? Uh, first, how exhaustive the investigation was. Again, uh, the special counsel talked to everybody, to fake electors, to state election officials, yeah. to Mark Meadows. Uh, five of the six unindicted co-conspirators, unindicted at this moment, they might be indicted later. Yeah. Five of the six are lawyers. lawyers. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to advance Trump's, well, these lawyers told me I could do it, yeah. but— John, um, the special counsel, he anticipates that. So he has a whole list of lawyers who said just the opposite. Yeah. Uh, the acting attorney general, the acting deputy attorney general, the White House counsel, Trump's own campaign manager told him there was no fraud in this election. The most damning evidence against Trump, it's new in the indictment, paragraph 90, which says that Trump told Pence he was too honest. Yeah. You don't get more corroboration about criminal intent yeah. than those words. And, and by the way, Mike, Mark, Mike Pence took contemporaneous notes. I want to come back to Meadows in a minute, but uh, Frank Fergluzzi, how, as a former FBI investigator, how, how happy would you be to have that quote, you're too honest, from the defendant? Boy, that that stands out that some newspaper somewhere should have made that their headline, because that really if there's one thing we all want to be accused of in our in in, in any career we have is, hey, you're you're too honest. Right. Yeah. That says it all. That says it all about Trump's mindset. I know this is wrong. And God darn it, you're getting in my way with this honesty of yours. And yeah. it, it's, it really jumps out. And, and what does it say about one of the star witnesses that we're probably going to see if this goes to trial? Well, it's going to be Mike Pence. It's going to be Mike Pence. Well, Mark Meadows stands out to me, Katie, as somebody who is sort of absent. Uh, he appears four times in the indictment, but he is not a co-conspirator. He's not, he's not listed. What do we know about whether he is a cooperating witness? I think that we know that Mark Meadows has a really great lawyer who would not allow (laughs) Mark Meadows to speak to the FBI or speak to the Justice Department unless he felt that he had to. But speaking to the Justice Department and providing information does not mean that you're cooperating. It doesn't mean that you're helping. It means you're asking the questions that you know you have to. And I think that's kind of what we see in this indictment. He's there. He's in Georgia. He talks about the things that he saw. He talks about the things that he told the president about Georgia. He feels that they did look into the fraud allegations and they weren't true. And that's pretty much all the information he was willing to provide. So it'll be interesting to see if Mark Meadows had to take the stand. And I would guess that he would. I think the prosecution would be careful with him because he's not not necessarily going to help or hurt them. It's hard to tell. We really, I hope this trial is televised. Um, But if it is, every witness that you see on that stand will be Republicans, loyal, pro-Trump, MAGA Republicans. That is who all of the star witnesses for the prosecution will be. It is a fascinating moment in American history. Katie Benner, Paul Butler, Frank Figluzzi, thank you all very much. Coming up, this indictment gives normie Republicans a chance to finally make a clean break of it with this poisonous figure. But will they take it? 
what Trump's so-called allies are saying next. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. The latest indictment reaffirms my earlier call that Donald Trump should step away from the campaign for the good of the country. If not, the voters must choose a different path. Okay, that was one of the most vehemently anti-Trump candidates in the Republican presidential candidate, a presidential primary, Asa Hutchinson, reading his statement off his phone, making critique of Donald Trump's third criminal indictment. I mean, kind of lukewarm. He did have to read off his phone, right? Okay, maybe Chris Christie did better. When he tweeted, or rather exed, quote, the events around the White House from election night forward are a stain on our country's history and a disgrace to the people who participated. Okay, accurate. We're getting there. Now let's look at Mike Pence, the man whose life was literally endangered on January 6th. He said, quote, anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president. Also true. But that is where the critiques end and the worship begins, because Trump still has plenty of defenders among the primary field, like Tim Scott, who is deeply concerned about the weaponization of Biden's DOJ that he claims is hunting Republicans with something, something Hunter Biden. And Ron DeSantis, a Harvard Law School trained lawyer who didn't even bother to read the indictment before making it known he will end the weaponization of the federal government as president by, I guess, ordering the DOJ to not prosecute Republicans who break the law and probably something, something lock up Hunter Biden, I guess. Cue the maniacal evil laughter (laughs) and the woke. Okay, real talk. What the heck is going on with the Republican Party? What do they stand for at this point, besides tax cuts for the super rich and retribution? I mean, they literally have become a retributionist party focused obsessively on settling scores by impeaching Democratic presidents for fake crises while defending criminal behavior on their own side. They are howling over a supposedly weaponized DOJ while at the same time promising to weaponize the Justice Department against any Democrat they can get their hands on. Joining me now to try to make it make sense is Rick Tyler, MSNBC political analyst, Republican strategist, and co-founder of Foundry Strategies. Uh, Rick Tyler, it is great to see you. I I saw you uh, speaking earlier today, thank you, with my colleague Anna Cabrera about this very thing. It was like, can we please see if he's available to come on uh, in the seven o'clock hour? Because I I felt your your pain through the the TV. I'm just going to let you talk a little bit because you are a longtime Republican strategist. You, in theory, understand this party. But can you explain to me why the people who 
are running against Donald Trump can't seem to just cleanly say, other than a couple of them, that what he did was wrong and anti-democracy and anti-American. Yeah, we somehow shifted uh, from this ethics of right and wrong to right and what you can uh, get away with. And I think that Donald Trump typifies that. I think that uh, DeSantis's response was particularly weak. One, you know, he's he's reviewing the indictment that he didn't even bother to read. And he ought to read the indictment because it's well written. When you re- when you read the indictment, it is well written and well put together. Um, and it begins by some legitimate um, questioning of the election. And you can do that. You can do it through public yep. speech. You can do it through lawsuits. You can do it through recounts and audits. But they exhausted all those. And that's where the, the that's where Trump left uh, reality uh, and engaged in, in criminal behavior. And it's very well laid out. What, what's absurd about the uh, the indictment is as you read it, it wouldn't it wouldn't pass for a B movie script. You'd get thrown out of a producer's office if you tried to sell this as a script. Yet this is what really happened because the whole elector scheme was just so harebrained, and it's really kind of frightening how far it actually got. Uh, and it had really serious consequences, uh, and still does. And people need to re- read that because the difference between us and a banana republic, or Russia, or any uh, dictator or despot. Uh, is understanding that we live in a, a system that is hangs by a thread of the trust of the American people on our institutions, including our law enforcement, including the FBI, and including our elect- election system. But you'd really have to be uh, deranged and deluded to believe that there's a conspiracy large enough to have uh, turned the elections. So they want to have it both ways. They want to say that Biden is incompetent, but he apparently pulled off the most comprehensive election theft uh, in American history or world history and left no trace of evidence because, remember, 60 cases, 60 court cases were filed and no credible evidence was ever uh, presented. Unfortunately for the Republicans now, this whole uh, event turns into uh, it's going to just exhaust the the media time because the whole election will now be about whether Donald Trump spends a term in the White House or spends a term in the big house, uh, because there's no other alternative. None of the other candidates will get a chance to, to compete. And that's what we're, we're faced with. And uh, it's, it, look, if, if there were, I wouldn't be tempted by this, but one could be tempted by saying, uh, you can elect a criminal and a rapist, uh, but you get all these great policies like balanced budgets and smaller government and lower taxes and a controlled border and a lower deficit with China and uh, smaller debt. But we didn't get any of those things with Donald Trump, nor will yeah. we. And so I, I don't really understand the upside. And from a raw political perspective, Joy, not just the, the policy perspective, what has Donald Trump brought since 2016? He's brought the yeah. loss of the House, the loss of the Senate, just losing, 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 losing. I just don't understand how they uh, want to keep uh, perpetuating uh, this man who's mentally deranged. The thing is, is that part of it is, I think, a fear of the electorate, right? I mean, seven in 10 Republicans, at least according to the New York Times Siena poll, want the Republican Party to fight for Trump and not to oppose him. And I think they're afraid uh, of those voters. But do you understand where those voters are coming from? Because they lived through the Trump administration, too, but their perception of it is so different. And also, by the theory that they're supporting, Kamala Harris could simply cause Joe Biden to remain president simply by throwing out electors. And I'm not sure that the base of the Republican Party is understanding where their theory ends. It ends with Kamala Harris deciding who the next president is. 
And I don't think they want that. Yeah. People, <laughs> well, people should read the indictment for no other reason is they'll get a great civics lesson. Trump should read it because then he might understand exactly how he was um, unelected as president uh, in a very legal way. Um, look, look it's, it all comes down to leadership. Sometimes you just have to tell the truth and the uh, the, the uh, voters will, will punish you for it. But in the end, you got to live with yourself. And I just don't understand these people who know the truth. Donald Trump knows the truth. And by the way, Joy, if you, re- if you read the indictment, there's actually a lot of good news in the indictment. There's a lot of people, good people who stood up to this and said no. People who yeah. supported Trump, including elected officials in Arizona, including elected officials, including Secretary of State and the governor of Georgia, including elected officials uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, including people in Trump's own administration, uh, including people in the FBI, the Justice Department, and including people in Trump's own campaign. A lot of people did the right thing. Uh, Trump did the wrong thing, and six co-conspirators also did the wrong thing. Uh, And I think they should pay uh, seriously for it because uh, it's a very dangerous thing of of what they've done. And, And if they were successful, they would have effectively destroyed our country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this. uh, And we will see. Hopefully uh, your party will somehow revive itself uh, and return to a respect for the rule of law. We shall see. Rick Tyler, thank you, sir, very much. Um, And still ahead, our friend, presidential historian Michael Bachelos joins me to weigh in on the many, many historical firsts Americans will be experiencing in the coming months. Stay right there. trial of the century has been thrown around a lot. There was the Fatty Arbuckle trial in 1921, the Scopes Monkey trial in 1925, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping trial in 1935, and more recently, we all remember the O.J. Simpson trial in 1995. But there has never been a trial like the one shaping up for Donald Trump. Because in the history of this country, we have never had a president of the United States try to stay in office by subverting democracy and literally trying to overturn the will of the people. I'm joined now by NBC News presidential historian and friend of the show, Michael Bechtschloss. It it is remarkable, Michael, um, that we are here, but I want to just zero you in on one specific aspect of it. And it is the Shakespearean tale of the man about which Trump said, per the indictment, you're too honest, Mike Pence. From the indictment, from the indictment, the vice president was told You need to overturn the election. The vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. In response, Donald Trump said to him, you're too honest. He was the most sycophantic vice president probably in American history. He then becomes the potential victim, a doormat. But he was going to be hung that day. What do you make of the fact that he will be the star witness in this trial? Well, uh, you know, you live along long enough, you get to see everything. You know, Mike <laughs> Pence is a hero. I don't think he is. No. He's doing the absolute minimum. He's showing a pulse. He's not lying under oath, I think. But is that what we want? Is that our, our test of our leadership in this country? You're absolutely right. And by the way, thank you for asking me tonight. What a night to get to talk together, given ah. the history that's being made as we speak. Indeed. But, you know, Pence for four years saw his boss, and not only his boss, whom he treated like his his ruler, he treated him like a supplicant, nothing that says a vice president has to be that servile. You remember he used to talk about our great President Trump and his broad shoulders and (laughs) all the rest of this. It used to make me sick. But here we are, and now Mike Pence, in the end, 
uh, may be the one who's giving information that may at least contribute to a verdict against Donald Trump in this trial. Uh, you're too honest, Mike Pence was told by Donald Trump. Is that something that George Washington said to someone or <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, Dwight Eisenhower? Eisenhower never said it to his vice president because that was Richard Nixon and he wasn't honest. <laughs> It is. It is remarkable. So there are so many things that are interesting. But what the, the defenses of Donald Trump have been varied. But I want to play for you one of the specific ones because they're previewing what their defenses are. This is John Laro. Um, and it is an interesting history based defense. Here he is. Uh, there is something wrong with sending no, fake no, electors no, no, trying to go beyond no. and around the law. These weren't fake election. electors. These were alternate electors, which John Kennedy did in 1960. It was an exact protocol that was followed previously. Different situation. Different situation, Michael. How oh, so? please. <laughs> uh, you're really provoking me tonight, Joy, and I'm going to rise to the bay. Uh, this so-called alternate electors scheme that John Kennedy supposedly followed according to this ridiculous lawyer who does not deserve to be a lawyer if that's the kind of precedent he cites. You know what that precedent was? In 1960, no. John Kennedy got 303 electoral votes. A lot of them were from Southern states. A lot of Southerners were worried, quite rightly, that if Kennedy got to be president, he would do everything he could to, maybe slowly, but he would do everything he could to fight racial segregation, which he did with the Civil Rights Act in 1963. So what did these Southern electors and their Ku Klux Klan backers and advisors, and they really were, what did they suggest? They said to Southern electors for, who were supposed to be voting for Kennedy, instead, you shouldn't vote for Kennedy. You should threaten to vote for Harry Byrd, the white supremacist senator from Virginia, and tell Kennedy that unless he promises no desegregation, no action for civil rights, we will tell these Southern electors to vote for Harry Byrd. You know, that's like Jesse James or Jack the Ripper. So this lawyer is saying, it's okay for us to do this because Jesse James did it or Jack the Ripper did it. That's how far we've come. So you want to call that a historical precedent? It is, but it's a pre precedent of corruption and evil and racism. Unreal. Okay. Oh, exit question. In your view, as a presidential historian, should this trial be televised? Of course it should, because we're living in a country, you're the last person on earth that needs to be told this, but since you've honored me with a question, I'll respect you with, a, with, a, with <laughs> an answer, which is that uh, in this country, there are all sorts of myths and conspiracy yes. theories and crazy non-facts being spread around. What better way to combat, and I, all, I, I can almost hear it being woven right now, Donald Trump is being given an unfair trial, he's being mistreated, this is a miscarriage of justice. Well, if we saw this trial on television every single day as a primary historical source, it would be very hard for those lies to move very far. If there's ever a time for television in a federal courtroom, this is it, I believe. I, I wish there had been television to be able to have the Scopes monkey trial, uh, you know, uh, on uh, televised. And if there was ever a trial that needs to have no filter of people like right. me telling people what happened, it is this one. It is Let so good to have a history with their own eyes and ears. 
and, and we, hear with their ears. We love having a historian friend. Everyone should have a historian friend, and I do. And I appreciate you so much, Michael Betchlock. I love having an anchor friend, especially a brilliant one. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much. Y'all, we'll be right back. Thank you. Tomorrow, Donald Trump is expected to be arraigned in person here in Washington, D.C., for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. It is an historic moment for our country. And I will be joining Rachel Maddow and the entire primetime team for live coverage tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And then I'll be back live at 7 p.m. Eastern for another edition of The Readout with full coverage of the day's legal developments. You do not want to miss it. Tomorrow's going to be an exciting historic day. That is tonight's Readout. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.